Again, welcome. We're glad you could join us. Um, before we get on to announcements and offering, a few housekeeping things just so you can, I'm sure you've found your way around a little bit. Some of you have been here. I'm looking around and I see so many people have been here working and I want to thank you for making this possible and boy, all the help and it's just made it really nice. It feels great. It's nice to be here and appreciate all that you've been doing along the last couple of weeks especially to get it all spruced up and ready. One of the things that you may have noticed and we thought about not having coffee because the, we don't have a lot of restrooms, frankly. The guys are fine. <laughs> you know, the men's restroom, we get in, we get out, nobody gets hurt. But <laughs> I know how you women are. You can't go to the bathroom by yourself. And, and it's just, so I just wanted to give you a couple of tips. If the women's restroom's backing up and you ladies need to go backstage, you go through the, where the wall is, where it says exit, and there's two little individual bathrooms backstage, kind of VIP bathrooms. And so feel free to just any time, well, not during the service, but like <laughs> between services or after the service, just go on back and use those. But close the door and lock it because they're unisex bathrooms, multi-purpose bathrooms. So that lets you know that. And then if those are full and this is full and it's really desperate, about a block away, the park has <laughs> restrooms, so that'll work. Um, it'll help if you come to church on time if you really want to get a parking place and a seat. And uh, so when we'll, we'll go to three services when it looks like the services are full when it's time for them to start. Not now. I'm not going to add a service for stragglers. No, just... <laughs> now we'll be praying about it. I, I think we're just about ready for three services, but we just put the sign in that has two services, so... <laughs> but we'll see. We can fix that. Um, let's see, oh, the CDs, if you want CDs or DVDs of the service, they're in the office. So if you're going out these doors, you'll pass the openings, there's a conference room, and then there's an office, and I believe that's where the CDs are if you want to pick up CDs or DVDs of the service. On the internet, we don't have our internet connection up for live streaming of the services, so, but what we are doing is the DVD will be shot of the service, and then that will start streaming a while after from Chris Bondique's house, a while after that, and it'll continue to stream as it usually does for the rest of the week until the next service. So just be aware if you're away that at least probably for the next couple of weeks, you won't be able to watch the service live. You'll have to come here. Uh, parking, you know, anything goes, I guess. I mean, just... If, be patient if somebody parks behind you. You know, you may have to wait a little bit, go grab a donut or get in line at the restroom or something, kill some time. <laughs> and uh, children's ministries are all back there in the far end. The kids like, well, there are signs. Most of the kids like under first grade are on this end and the other ones are on this end. Junior high in the bus out here. If you haven't seen the bus, you've got to check it out. It's so cool. It's, the seats are taken out of it, and it has a three-inch foam padding and, and a bright orange and purple shag carpet all the way over the floors, up the walls. There are 14 beanbag chairs in there, a little sound system and everything. So stick your head in there before you go. You'll like it. But junior high Sunday school second service is meeting in the bus, and I looked in there. It looked so comfortable. I was really jealous. Um, otherwise, here we are. This is our new home. And uh, we'll figure things out. We'll be working the kinks out of things. I, I, one of the things that you'll notice at the end of the service, um, there, we were going to have a prayer room back there at the conference room, but we thought with all the traffic of people walking, it's going to be easier to come up front for prayer. So um, after the service, if you need prayer for anything, there'll be people up front. If, uh, you know, a couple of the guys, some of the ushers or elders, and if there are a couple of ladies who would love to pray with people, come on forward so that you can pray with people after the service, and that'll be cool. Now, I like to be available to people, and so I'll be, don't look for me up front because I'm going to go to the back. I'll sneak out the back. So if you're looking for me after the service, I'll be in back. I tried it first service, and it just felt real cheesy and phony because everyone had to shake hands with me getting out so I'm not going to do that traditional thing but I'll, I'll be roaming around out there somewhere so if you don't want to say hi to me you don't have to <laughs> be able to you know I, I saw people walking along like looking the other way like oh please don't notice me you know it's okay 
but I'll be roaming around out there and, and we'll figure it out. I see they have chairs set up back in the foyer. Hello to you people out there. There we go. And uh, so again, make yourself at home. Go around and stick your head in anywhere and check it out and see what's happening. Um, new building, we better take an offering. And so <laughs> if the ushers will come forward to receive the offering, I'll go over some of the other announcements that we have here. This Tuesday, um, for Halloween Alternative, we actually have two options because Compass Bible Church, who took over our old facility, had invited us to participate with them. And they're over in Aliso Viejo at the Jewish Temple over there on uh, Journey, I think it is. Journey or Liberty? Liberty, I think. Those, you know, it's the same. You drive around over there, you'll see it. And then the church next to us here, Grace Hills, has invited us to let our people come to theirs also. Theirs is from 6.30 to 8.30, and so take your choice and check them both out, see who has the best candy, and go ahead and bring your kids out for <laughs> a Halloween alternative. Um, our youth, junior high and high school, is having a party on Tuesday from 7 to 10 over at the Ballmeyers house. And so it says free food, candy, live band, and costume contest. So if you have a junior high or high schooler, there should be flyers out in the back to find out how to get to the Ballmeyers. Um, the Wisdom Seekers will, I noticed, I, had, I announced first service that the high school girls discipleship group was meeting today, but someone just crossed that off, so apparently they're not. But the Wisdom Seekers meet today at two o'clock in the conference. What? <laughs> okay next Sunday the wisdom I'm not mad at you Joan I'm like why am I reading this stuff if none of it's right but uh, <laughs> next Sunday the wisdom seekers will meet in the conference room at two and I'm guessing maybe the high school girls discipleship group now no one's corrected this so new moms meet me in the park if you're a, a newer mom with a little kid they have a meet me in the park group that meets this Monday, tomorrow, from nine to noon at Iglesia Park, right back here adjacent to our property. Um, you can either park in our parking lot and walk over, or Iglesia Street and then the street between Iglesia and our church, both of those streets go up there to the park. So if you have babies or young kids and you'd like to hang out with others who do, um, you're welcome to come out for that. GTO and Go, our street witnessing ministries, uh, Friday at 6.30. Uh, men's ministry will be this Saturday in the Fellowship Hall, which is the room when you go all the way to the end and turn left, it's in there. And the Married Couples Fellowship, Saturday night, 7 p.m. at the same place. And I think that's it. It's fun, it's exciting to be someplace that's new and you know, at the same time, there's little things, obviously, that we'll be working out, and, and so be flexible and be patient with us. I know for me, I'm used to sitting right here and walking up, but I realized I can't do that because we have this big thing here. But there's an upside to it, too, because, see, notice how this thing comes to, like, my knees, and the Levi's that I'm wearing, they have all these little holes from battery acid that are, like, on the bottom, but it's like... Hey, this is cool. Nobody will even notice. So next Sunday, next Sunday I'm thinking about wearing some big floppy slippers with a formal robe. I think it would be a nice touch. But uh, yeah, we're figuring things out. And we don't have our, we have the manual screen there, but we'll, we're ordered an electric one. That'll be coming. And little things will be happening. But again, thanks for your patience and understanding and We'll get the parking and all that figured out eventually, but again, it's good incentive to come on time. Those of you who have these good seats, you're not complaining about the traffic, but uh, I'm also going to try to end first service at a decent time so that I, I realize for some of you, you got stuck in traffic because I went long first service, and, but we'll deal with that. Turn in your Bibles now to the book of Philippians. Been studying through this book, great letter that Paul wrote about joy to the Christians there in Philippi. And this week we've come to verse 27 in Philippians chapter 1. Before we look at it, let's look to the Lord in prayer.
Lord, we're here with hearts of gratitude to you for all that you've done for us. You've given us every reason to have joy. You've given us every reason to feel blessed. Lord, we want to live those lives that you've called us to live, and yet we become so distracted. Our priorities become so shifted that often, Lord, we don't have the life that you want us to have. And so, Lord, we're reporting for duty this morning. We want to learn from you, hear from your word by your spirit. As to adjustments we can make, we don't want to continue to just be the way we are. We want to grow. So, Lord, please help us to do that. Teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. I have here in my pocket a, just a little piece of paper, <coughs> and it, it says 100 on it. It's a $100 bill. I actually had two of them because I did a wedding a couple weeks ago, and somebody decided that my time for an hour was worth $200 and gave me $200 bills. And it's nice. I started thinking, wow, what if I made $200 an hour all the time? But, <laughs> I, was, but I was looking at it and going, I mean, it's a picture of Ben Franklin, says some words, but it's just a piece of paper. What makes this worth $100? We know it's not the gold that backs it in Fort Knox. That hasn't happened since long before most of us were even around. The thing that makes this worth $100, and I can trade it for you know, something that they say is worth $100, is the same thing that makes everything worth something. The only thing that determines worth is what someone's willing to pay for it. The fact that people are willing to give me X amount of stuff in exchange for this piece of paper is only, the value in the paper is only due to what they'll give me for it. And it's just like, you know, I saw the other day a house that was for sale that for $200 million. And I think, what makes one house worth more than this entire neighborhood, for instance? Well, it's because someone's willing to pay that for it, and that's what establishes value. The problem in our society today is people are very confused about value. We put value on things that really shouldn't be valuable, and there are things that are extremely valuable that we don't value. We don't see as being you know, appreciated or worthwhile. And establishing worth becomes confusing, especially when it comes to life, because today we live in a society that doesn't put a lot of value on life. Human life is worth the same as animal life, or maybe even less so. More protection for animals' lives sometimes than human life. When we begin with that assumption that life isn't worth much, causes a real problem for each of us. You know, they tell us that how many problems we have because of low self-worth, low self-esteem that people have. And I agree with that as far as it goes. I think people don't think that they're worth much. And as a result, we live in a way that, that supports that, that, that enhances that whole idea. But the question is, what are we worth? And that's where the gospel comes in. There is good news for you and for me. The good news is we are incredibly valuable to God. How do I know that? Because God gave his son to die for us. Another way of saying that is God looks at you and he looks at me and he says, you are worth dying for. That's how much you matter to me. Understanding that is life-changing. It's absolutely transforming in so many different ways to recognize what it means to be worth dying for. And here in Philippians, Paul appeals to that. And he says, if you're worth dying for, there's also a certain way that you ought to be living in relationship to that. Beginning in verse 27, he says, only... In other words, take a look at this. Only let your conduct, the word there literally comes from the same root as politics, and rather than conduct, it's really your citizenship, who you are, your identity, how you're defined. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, 
that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So Paul says, live your life in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That good news that you were worth dying for, he says, that ought to affect you. That should cause you to live in a certain way because of what your life is worth. All day long we make decisions and we ask questions and we answer them. And most of those answers center around, is this worth it? You go into a store, there's a lot of stuff that's there for sale, but you go, I could buy this, but is it really worth it? Other times you go to a restaurant and it's not so much the price in this case, it's when it's dessert time. And you're really pretty full, but they bring the dessert tray out, and it looks incredible. I mean, they have a way of making those fake desserts just look so good. But then you look at it, and you look down where your shoes used to be, and <laughs> you go, man, that looks good. But is it really worth the flab that it's going to put on me? Is it worth it? And all of life is those kinds of choices. Here's a choice. Is it worth it? And here Paul is appealing to these Philippian Christians and saying, live your life like you really value yourself. Live your life like you really value the sacrifice that was made for you. And as you make those decisions and you make those choices, live like you believe that you're worth something. Live like you think it matters, the decisions that you make, the things that you do. Because if you have a cheap view of yourself, you're going to live a throwaway life. But he would say there's a logical way to live your life when you understand what you're worth. Living your life as if you believe that someone valued you enough to die for you. A lot of people can't even imagine something that's important enough to die for. Someone has said, until you find something that's worth dying for, you'll never have anything in your life that's really worth living for. Paul, earlier in this chapter, we saw, as he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, hey, I'm ready to die. And that's not a sacrifice, that's a great thing. It's life that's a sacrifice, and God doesn't need us to die for him, most likely, but he does ask us to live for him. Because he sees that we are worth his sacrifice, we certainly ought to think that it's worth following him and doing what he tells us to do. As Paul lays this out for the believers, he makes several points as to how logically we should be living in light of what it means to be worth the gospel. And the first thing that he says here, you know, I, whether I'm with you or not, I want to hear that you're standing fast in one spirit with one mind. Standing fast. That means to be solid, to be in a position. Well, you know if any of you have ever played a sport, the first thing that they teach you in almost any sport is how to stand. Because you need to get into a stance whereby you're balanced you can't be knocked off balance. At the same time, you're ready to respond, to move forward, backward, laterally, diagonally. The, per the correct stance and the weight distribution makes you to have a solid defensive position, but it also gives you the options of moving offensively. And that's kind of the idea here, is to come up with a stance. But he says, one mind and one spirit. So it's, you need to be solid. You can't be flaky. You can't be undependable. But at the same time, you need a focus. You need to know what you're here for. You need to not only understand what you're worth, but why he chose you and what he wants to do through you. One mind, one spirit. That sense of here's who I am, here's what I do. And if we don't do that, doing that means not only deciding what we do, it also 
by implication, we decide what we're not going to do because we have limited resources, limited time, limited energy, limited longevity. And so if I know what I'm supposed to do, I also need to figure out what gets eliminated, what I'm not supposed to do. If we don't focus our attention on God's calling in our life, then we'll just fill our life up with either whatever is an emergency at the time with the tyranny of the urgent, or we'll just take whatever randomly comes to us, whoever stumbles along, first person that you meet, oh, okay, I guess I'm supposed to marry this person. You know, the first job offer, okay, there you go, I'm in. And if you live your life that way, you'll always settle for something that later you'll go, man, there was a greater opportunity, and if I had only given it a little more time and been a little more patient and put a little more prayer. But Paul says, in our lives, because of our value, we need to, to eliminate things that don't fit, and we need to narrow our focus toward what God is doing and wants to do in our lives. Man, I... Over the last few weeks as I've been packing and getting ready to move from an office that's like more than twice the size of the office that I have here, I'm amazed how much stuff I have. Books that I have that, you know, I've read, but I'll never read them again, and yet, oh, I can't part with them. Other stuff, crazy stuff I was finding in the bottoms of boxes and things like that. I found some of those. You ever see those blow darts that I'm sure they're, those blow guns? I'm sure they're illegal now, but I'm sure they were legal when I got them. But <laughs> it's like the last time I remember shooting that blow gun was years ago, and we put a, I wanted to see how powerful it was, and we put a Jim and Tammy Baker a biography up on the wall, and I was seeing how far I actually could get like 200 pages into the book, and it was hardcover. So, you know, you don't throw something like that away. That's powerful. Still, I still have the book, and I still have a bunch of the darts. And I'm thinking, I moved this stuff. What am I, what is this? And, I, and I'm going, whoa, what? I am cluttered. I, this is a mess. I really need to seriously start getting rid of some stuff. And I mean, I got rid of a lot of stuff before I moved. This is just stuff that made it through the cut. And, you know, old trophies and things like that. But so many times our lives become that way. If we don't focus, and especially if everything is valuable to you, you end up with your life being a mess. A lot of us do that with our schedules. We'll do anything that anyone wants us to do. And as a result, there isn't time to do the most important things. There isn't an opportunity to, I don't have any time or energy or money or whatever left when a good opportunity comes up because I've settled. Because I've just, ah, that's good enough, that's close enough. But Paul says, hey, you're worth more than that. You need to hear from God with one spirit and one mind, know what God is doing in your life, and eliminate everything that doesn't look like that. It doesn't mean that you can never blow off some time or just loaf around or have fun. It's not that God is trying to get the most productivity out of you. It's just that the direction of your life should be moving in a way that, is, that fits with what you're worth. And therefore, to waste your life, to just fritter it away, is a horrible waste of what could happen if we would just listen to God. If He would renew our minds and we made those decisions to live our lives with a focus, to live our lives with a strong stance that's based in understanding that every minute of my time is worth something. Every penny of my money is worth something. Every day or week or year of my life, every opportunity, every person in my life, it's, there's value there and I want to live like it matters and live like it's valuable. And so that's the first thing Paul says in terms of living a life that's, that's worthy of the gospel. But he goes on to say, not only that, standing fast in one spirit with one mind, but then he says, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The word for striving together there, we have those two words in the English. It translates one word in the Greek. The, the Greek word there is sunathleo, but that's actually two Greek words put together. Athleo is the word from which we get athlete, and that's exactly what it means. And soon means with or together. 
So you put them together, soon athleo. What he's really saying here is, understand this, on the basis of the worth of the gospel, understand that you're on a team, because that's what a soon athleo is. It's a teammate. So he's saying, not only do you need to focus your life and live your life with, a, with meaning and purpose, but not only that, you need to understand that you are an important member of the team. And for all of us, we need to realize life isn't just about me. Life is about living my life so that it fits with everyone else that God has brought into my life. One of the great things about getting the new church building ready is working together with God's people. It's so much fun to see different people with different skills. I mean, a lot of the guys here knew how to do things. I wouldn't have a clue as to how to do them. And yet God brings along the right people at the right time and it all plan comes together and, and here we are and it's great. But, you know, that's what life is ultimately. Every one of us, Jesus died for us, not just for an individual salvation, although he certainly does that. But he also dies for us so that he can make us a part of his body, of his program, of what he wants to do. And none of us will feel fulfilled unless we understand that we're a part of a team. And we're working together toward things that matter. And so he says, hey, when you understand your value, when you understand your worth, you're also going to figure out that you are an important piece of a team. Now, that team involves your family. It involves your friends. It involves your church. It involves, to a, great, to a lesser degree probably, the entire world. You know, it's... Wow, God wants to use you as a part of something that's much greater than you could do. It's, it's multiplication, multiplication rather than addition. It's almost logarithmic, where when you put God's people together, the, the, the sum becomes much, the total becomes much greater than the sum of the parts. We can do things together that we could never do separately. And so he says, Oh, I hope that you'll figure out that you're an important part of the team. And God would say that to you. Maybe you've been functioning as a free agent. I think a lot of times we make life seem that way. You, we just bounce from thing to thing, from church to church. We don't really plug in because really it's just like life is one big buffet. But life isn't just to give you what you need. Life is something that you are to participate in, and so is ministry. And God would want you to know that everyone suffers if you're not doing what you're supposed to do. So become a part of the team and, and realize that you have an important role to play. Now, there are some of you who may think, I don't think I have an important role to play. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I tried that once and it didn't work. Hey, just because you haven't found your niche yet doesn't mean you're not an important team member. That opportunity is going to come, that door will open, and you will discover more and more, oh, that's what I'm here for. God will do that for you. He's very faithful in that way, and he'll, he'll surprise you quite often. He'll have you doing things that you just love doing. It's very natural to you. Some people don't find their place in the body because they still haven't gone to step one and gotten that focus and that solid stance. They haven't got their life stable enough and then start to make conscious choices whereby they discover what their niche is. But Paul would say, when you realize that you're valuable, when you realize that God sent his son to die for you, your life will start to take on a stability and a focus, and then you'll understand what it is to be a part of something great, to be a member of his team, and to play the role that he's called you to play. And in the process, you'll find out he doesn't just want to have a handful of people all burning themselves out. The 80-20 rule, they say, where 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Life is kind of that way, but it's because there are a lot of people who don't realize they're on the team. They haven't decided to participate. But when we do, we realize, wow, I'm making a difference. I matter. This is a good thing. Now, as we read on, he also says, thirdly, verse 28, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. Not terrified by your adversaries. Now, this doesn't mean that you're not afraid. 
Fear is something that God has built within us to keep us from doing stupid things. When we do stupid things and we're afraid, at least we know what we're dealing with and we're more aware. But the word there that he uses for terrified is a word in the original that refers to a horse when it gets spooked. They call it when a horse just is surprised by something. And then the horse reacts and jumps or throws its rider. It's the idea that when challenges come along in life, if you understand what it is to be worthy of the gospel, you expect that to happen. And it flows naturally. I guarantee you, if your life has started to focus and now you're functioning as a team member, you better believe it, the enemy is going to attack you. There are going to be assaults on who you are to try to take you out of the game, to try to distract you and remove you from the focus that God wants you to have. Expect it. And what he's saying is, hey, when the adversary comes, don't be surprised. Don't let them freak you out. Don't let them make you fall apart. Because he says, hey, if you can keep from freaking out, they're, they're finished. They're history. As he says here, that uh, to them it's proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that through God. So if you can keep from freaking out, then the enemy knows he's done. And at the same time, you know, I'm saved. I'm doing what God wants me to do because I'm being attacked. So it's all about being prepared for the attack. And Satan only has a few ways that he can attack us. Basically, he can either lie or he can surprise you. <laughs> he can try to fool you. If you're prepared, no problem. We can quench the fiery darts of the wicked if we're ready. Now, there are several different states of readiness that you can have in your life. There's one state of readiness whereby you're in your own house, everything's locked up tight, the alarms are set, you're the only one home, and it's like, oh, I can relax. Now, when you're out and about, and there are some people that look like they're kind of, you know, could be dangerous people, now your hackles are up a little bit more. You're more aware now, if you're in a bank and some masked men come in and tell you to get on the floor and they start rattling off automatic rifle fire, now you're at another level of preparedness. And what we need to do as children of God is to not be paranoid, but to be ready, always ready, in season and out of season, always expecting attacks are going to happen. I remember... You know, as a, as a young person, and I'd get excited when I, especially when I started, uh, you know, studying martial arts. And I'd have a day when I was I couldn't be touched. I'd be working out, and man, everything was working great. And I learned a new technique that really worked for me, and I was excited. And and you'd leave the studio, the, the dojo, and you'd almost wish somebody would attack you. It's like, come on, man, anywhere somebody starts looking at you, what, you know? <laughs> Because it's like, yeah, go ahead and attack me. It's like cops when they first become hired as cops. And it's a funny thing because when you're a police officer, most departments want you to carry a weapon all the time, but you have permission to do that. And every young cop I know is so excited because now they can carry a gun every, everywhere. After a while, cops are like, it's such a hassle to carry a gun everywhere. I can't just wear a t-shirt. You know, they haven't worn fanny packs since the 70s. And, and it's like, oh man, what a hassle. But what Paul is saying here is you should be expecting an attack and in a way welcoming it. Going, I'm ready. I know I can handle myself. I know that God is with me. So I'm not, nothing's going to surprise me. If anything happens that catches you by surprise, you just weren't prepared the way that you should be. We should expect to be attacked. We should know that. And yet, if we can not flinch, if we can not fall apart, not freak out, man, the enemy doesn't have anything left to use on us. We were prepared and we saw it. You ever see these guys driving the armored trucks, the Brinks trucks? Those guys, I mean, you're kind of afraid to even look at them because you don't want them to get all jumpy and blow you away. 
But there, you know, if you're sitting there, your whole job is wearing this hot uniform, driving this slow truck, and just carrying big bags of money all the time. You know those guys are hoping somebody tries something. It's like, man, I, I shoot at the range. I'm, you know, I'm ready, and I'm like, man, I hope somebody tries to rob us sometime. I'll, that'll be, you know, great. And why are they so prepared? Because they know, everyone knows what's in the back of the truck. Everyone knows they're not just, yep, they needed a bunch more pennies down at the store, so we're hauling bags of pennies in. No, if they're going to use an armored truck, it's because there's something valuable. Now, understand this. You and me, because of how valuable we are, we're like an armored truck, and God's promising to protect us. But as we work with Him, as we understand that value, we're just ready it's not that we want it. It's not that we're looking for a fight. It's that we better expect it. It's going to happen. And if it happens, let's be ready. Let's be prepared. And it comes because you know that you're worth something. It comes because you know that if Satan can ruin you, he's going to ruin a lot of other important things with it. Half of the dumb things we do, we wouldn't do if we just thought about what it's worth. How many people do you think would go and cheat on their spouse and destroy their marriage? If you do that, you're acting like your spouse doesn't matter, your kids don't matter, your friends don't matter, other people who are looking up to you don't matter. You're acting like hey, life is cheap. If you'd sit and think, what's this going to cost me if I do this? How in the world would anyone, no one would ever think, hey, sounds like a good deal to me. It's a horrible deal. It's a sucker's bet. But people do it every day because they're not thinking about what it's going to cost and whether or not it's worth that or not. And Paul would say, when you see that worth, not just what you're worth, because remember, that person who you are living with, that person who's sitting next to you, that person who's halfway around the world who doesn't know Jesus Christ, they're worth it too. The gospel applies to them too. Are you going to treat people like they're worth that and as a result have that level of awareness that is requisite for something valuable to be protected? If we think it's not valuable, we won't protect it, whatever it is. And so he says, hey, this is the way to live. This is a natural outflowing of a life that's dedicated to the one who placed value in us by allowing his son to die for us. And then he goes on to say, in verse 29, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Great. He goes, congratulations, man, you're so valuable that you get to suffer for Jesus. You know, in our society, again, almost everything is geared toward how to avoid suffering. Almost everything that we do is designed to make us feel like, how can I make it not hurt so much? But there are certain things, I think you'll agree, that are worth suffering for. I mean, watch what people do on Fear Factor. I mean, they'll allow themselves to be dragged through the dirt. They come up, they're all scraped, and they're like, yeah, look at this. They'll eat worms and worse, and oh, they'll be gagging and puking, and, and, but it's like, it's worth it. What, $50,000? So would you eat worms for $50,000? Yeah, I would. I, I mean, it would be worth it. I would, everything I've ever seen happen on Fear Factor, I would do it for $50,000. <laughs> Sorry, I know some of you are looking stunned, but we all have our price. That's mine. <laughs> but let me take it to less than $50,000. Why do you go to the dentist? Really? I mean, you go to the dentist, you know it's going to hurt. It always does. They pretend like it's not going to. You go in there, and first they take the little swab, and they dip it in some jelly or whatever, and wipe it in your mouth so that it doesn't hurt when they give you the shot. I don't even think there's anything on that swab. It still hurts like crazy as they're poking it. Okay, you're going to feel a pinch. I don't feel a pinch. I feel a nail being driven through my gums. And then they start drilling on you. They're going, are you numb? Yeah, kind of. And then they, they wedge your face open so you can fit a bowling ball in it. And then for an hour, they're asking you questions. While and 
it, it's miserable. It hurts. They're drilling, and, and you feel, hit a nerve, and you go, ah! Oh, did you feel that? <laughs> but why do you do that? Why do you go to the dentist? It's because your teeth are valuable. You decide it's worth it rather than to lose your teeth and be eaten with your gums later. And so you go, well, that's worth it. There's other pain that we go through that we know is worth it. Part of the wisdom of life is understanding that there are some things that are worth pain. There are some things that God wants to do something in our life, and the only way to get there is the path of pain. I had someone this week, and it was a a difficult thing, someone in a difficult spot in their life going through a tough decision as to whether to do what God says or not. And, And they said to me, Dave, do you really think that if God wanted me to do this, that he would make it so painful and miserable and awful and it's like eating me up and tearing me up and making me crazy, do you really think God would want me to do that? And I took that question very seriously because when I'm talking to somebody about their life, I'm not going to belittle it. I'm not going to act like, oh, it doesn't matter, piece of cake, I could do it. But I looked them in the eye and I said, yeah, I think that God wants you to do what his word tells you to do even if it hurts really bad, even if it, if it temporarily puts you in a state of misery, even if it kills you, yeah, I think God wants you to obey Him. See, so much of our energy is focused around eliminating discomfort that sometimes we will end up, because we don't think the pain is worth it, we end up taking a turn that leads us to a lot more pain later. It's worth it. To suffer with him, for him, because we're doing... See, often we think, this must be wrong. Because it wouldn't hurt like this if it was the right thing to do. Or the flip side of that was Debbie Boone's You Light Up My Life song back when I was a kid. And, you know, she's going, this can't be wrong if it feels so right. And people think, wow, that's really profound. It can't be wrong if it feels so right. Yeah, tell yourself that the next time you're eating a, you know, 5,000-calorie plate of ice cream and everything. Oh, it can't be wrong if it feels so right. Oh, just wait and see how it feels. <laughs> but for me in my life, I've had lots of pain. I've had pain from doing wrong things and sinning. But you know what? The greatest pain ever in my life, in every case I can think of, was for doing the right thing. It's not that everything I do that's right hurts, but the greatest hurt I've ever experienced was from doing the right thing. And Paul's going, understand, this is worth it. Jesus gave his life for you, and now you have the opportunity to live for him, to live in relationship with him. It's not a question of whether it's going to hurt or not. It's a question of whether the hurt is worth it. And Paul would say, without a doubt, In my life, decisions I've made, it was worth it. Now, again, we sometimes will go, well, Jesus died for you. Can't you live for him? Well, I can't really die for him because if I die, it's not going to be for him. If I die, it's selfish. It's the best thing for me. As Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So while I'm on this earth, I do things and they may hurt. But as soon as the hurting gets so bad that I die, it doesn't hurt anymore. I'm in the presence of God. But in the meantime, know this. Don't act like some, as James said, don't act like there's some weird thing happening to you because life hurts. It's supposed to hurt. That's the way it is. But that means that God is doing something in your life and he would never take you through something unless it was worth it because he loves you that much. Now, I can't explain it all ahead of time. All I know is don't worry because if you're submitting to him, then that means even that you are willing to suffer, to to go through pain. It's worth it because he believes that you are worth death. And if he would die for you, living for him, it's the only way to go. It's the only sensible thing. And so Paul winds up the passage by saying, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. In other words, I'm not telling you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. It's, this is the way it is. This is life. And it's worth it. He went ahead of us to pay that price. 
And now, as Paul explains, it's the least we can do, it's the most logical thing we can do to live our lives with an awareness of that value that is in them, with an awareness of the fact that nothing that we suffer, nothing that we endure will ever be not worth it. It'll always be worth it. There was that movie a few years back called Saving Private Ryan about a during World War II, there on Normandy, right after D-Day, there was a soldier named Private Ryan who they sent a, the government sent a group of eight soldiers in to rescue him because his other brothers, he had three brothers who had all died in the war. He was the last son, and they wanted a publicity thing by bringing him out of combat, bringing him home to his mother, and it would make everyone feel nice and warm. In the process, they sent eight soldiers to risk their lives to try to save one guy's life. And this guy, Private Ryan, wasn't much of a guy. Matt Damon played the part in the movie, and and he was just a guy that was a, a kind of a loser. And as Captain Miller, played by Tom Hanks, led his troops in, they were questioning very often, why are we doing this? Is this worth it? And, and Captain Miller just said, this is worth it because of the overall effort. We follow orders. We do what we're going to do. There's a greater purpose that's being fulfilled here. The end of the movie... I don't think I'll spoil it for you. The movie's so old. I'm sure you've seen it if you're going to see it. But at the end of the movie, finally, Captain Miller gives his life. Six of the eight guys gave their lives for Private Ryan. And as he is laying there, the Tom Hanks character, Captain Miller, is laying there dying with his last breath, he pulls Private Ryan, who was just going, why did you guys do this? I don't even want to live. Why did you do this? And he pulls him up close to him, face to face, And he says, earn this, earn it. And then he died. And, you know, the way the movie is, it was a flashback and it was talking about how he did the best he could to live the best life that he could do as a tribute to these guys. Now, was it worth it to them? They had to decide that. But Private Ryan decided, I'm going to live my life a different way because this guy thought that I was worth this. And the final challenge was, Live up to this. Live up to the worth that you have by my sacrifice. And that's essentially the message that Paul is giving the Philippians here. He's saying, you know, you could never pay God back for what he's done. But how about living your life like you believe that there's some value here? Living your life in such a way that your life reflects well on the sacrificed life that was sacrificed for you. And a life like that looks different. A life like that, as he lays out here, it becomes solid and focused. It's ready and prepared. It's not freaked out when adversaries come up. It's a life that ultimately is willing to hurt and willing to sacrifice because it's a life that's inspired by sacrifice. It's a life that says, wow, if I am worth this to you, I guess I ought to start treating myself in a way and my life and my choices in a way that makes sense. I better start living like someone who is valuable. So many of us live our lives like we're throwaways. And it's no wonder that people do that because society tells us we're throwaways. And our educational system tells us that we're just a, you know, freak of nature through enough weird mutations. We just sort of evolved into who we are. So, of course, we don't think we're worth much. We just happened. But when we believe that we're created by God and God would send His Son to die for us, boy, that changes everything. Now we go, really? I matter that much? God wants to place me on His team and make me His? He wants to spend eternity with me? Yeah, when you understand that, you're a little more careful at how you live, at what you do, choices that you make. It's inspiring to know that someone values you and me that much. Helps us to value each other too. We realize that person that we're in relationship with, they're loved by God. If they were the only person on the earth, he would have sent his son to die for them. So do I treat them like they're nothing? Do I cast them away? No way. Absolutely not. They're a treasure to God, and He must see something there that ought to mean something to me. And that's you, too. 
and that's me. It's great to know there's value. And, and the value isn't in what we do for him. It's while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He didn't say, man, if I die for them, I bet they'll do a bunch of great things for me. Just imagine how much that person could tithe. That's not it. He looks at you when, with no other connection, no other obligation, and he says, I value you. I don't know about you, but that inspires me. I, I want to take more seriously my life. I want to enjoy it more, too. I want to live life to its fullest. And that's what he's exhorting us to here. Remember, it's all about joy. And you will never have the joy that God wants you to have until you understand what it means to be worth the good news, worthy of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for what you've done for us. A lot of the times we feel pretty worthless. And part of it is that we're treated that way. Other people treat us like we don't matter. Part of it is that we're so hard on ourselves that we feel cheapened or society gives us that notion. But Lord, thank you for the good news. The good news that Jesus died for us. That we were worth it to you, Lord. That you were pleased for that to happen because you value us so much. Help us to discover what that means in real life terms and how we live out this life that you bought and paid for. So Lord, thanks. We appreciate what you've done and we pray that we can start to walk with that kind of value hanging over our head, that kind of a conviction that believes that you look at us and you look at your cross and you say, yeah, it was well worth it. Wow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, before we leave, is Ted here?